There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Lord God, uh, on this second Sunday of Advent, we pray uh, that we could step into a space of peace and quiet to hear from you, uh, even as this time of year is so busy and can be seemingly chaotic and stressful. We ask uh, that this time would be a time that we could hear from you and encounter, Lord, the strangeness of this season as a gift, and that we would be filled with the hope of Advent as we anticipate, Lord, your coming again. And I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning. My name's Chris Myers. I'm one of the priests here. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, we are celebrating the season of Advent. As you can see, we've got the candles and everything. Advent is strange. It's a very strange season in a lot of ways. Uh, one reason that it's strange is that we are anticipating two things at once. One thing that's already happened and one thing that hasn't happened yet. The thing that has happened is that Jesus has come, that the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. The thing that hasn't happened yet is that he has not yet come again in glory. And we anticipate that coming again by putting ourselves in the position of those who waited for him to come the first time. And that's why we have this strange figure, John the Baptist. If there is an anti-American Christmas figure, you could not come up with a better person than John the Baptist. He is very strange. I read a theologian say, we've had John the Baptist with us for 2,000 years, and we have yet to understand him. He is very, very strange. And he's at the center of Advent. Another reason that Advent is strange is that it cuts against the grain of our culture right now. In the sense that as far as the rest of the world is concerned, Christmas is already here. <laughs> but we're waiting for it. We're anticipating it. And it's hard to do those two things at once. You kind of do those two things in your brain. Like we went and cut down our Christmas tree yesterday. But I'm also trying to be adventy. And those two things kind of clash against each other and cause some friction. So 
part of what I want to do today is invite us into the strangeness of Advent as a gift. Some of its harder edges can actually uh, be good for us. This is part of the reason that we dust off the old confession in Advent. We said some these and some thous this morning. It felt pretty good. You sounded all right. The great phrase in that confession, to me, is the phrase that we've followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. Devices and desires is actually a title of a mystery novel by P.D. James. It's a great title for a mystery novel. It is not a great title for like a Hallmark Christmas movie. Devices and desires. Nobody's watching that. But it's an honesty about who we are. And it's an honesty about what goes on in our hearts, that our hearts have these devices, these mechanisms, these labyrinths, these things that don't make sense to us, and that there are desires in our hearts that sometimes we can't always make sense of. Um, We call ourselves in that confession miserable offenders, Um, not very good for the self-esteem, except that in the context that that was written, miserable just means someone who is in need of mercy. I'm a miserable offender. I am someone who is in need of mercy. And so part of Advent is the acknowledgement that when we are left to our own devices and desires, we will make a mess of things. That's the starting place of Advent. If I am left to my own devices and my own devices, if you are left to your own devices and desires, we will make a mess of things. Advent asks us to honestly examine the mechanisms of our heart to ask what makes us tick, what motivates us. And what the confession also acknowledges is that desire is the fuel of the heart. What does your heart run on? It runs on desire. The things that we want, the things that we yearn for, create our action and movement in the world. And this is why we sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. This is why it's the great song of Advent. We're asking God to come, to meet us, in our lowly exile, and to set us free. The lyrics for O Come, O Come, Emmanuel come from a set of poems called the O Antiphons. And one of them is this, which is called O Key of David. O Key of David and scepter of Israel, you open and no one will shut. You shut and no one shall open. Come and release from the prison house those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. That's Advent in a nutshell. We are sitting in darkness. We need light to come to us, to break in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of the Confessing Church in Germany. Those who oppose Adolf Hitler, he was part of a plot to kill Hitler, and he ended up in prison. And in his prison cell, he wrote multiple letters, and they're well worth reading. And this is from a section of one of those letters, and he's talking about Advent. And he says, By the time you receive this letter, it will probably be Advent, a time especially dear to me. A prison cell like this, in which one watches and hopes and performs this or that ultimately insignificant task, and in which one is wholly dependent on the doors being opened from the outside, is far from an inappropriate metaphor for Advent. We are in a prison in which we are wholly dependent on the doors to be opened from the outside. 
That's the posture of Advent. That we sit in darkness, but behold, a great light is coming. The light grows from week to week as we sit and wait and hope. This, can't, these, this wreath symbolizes that growing hope. So the trick of Advent is that we move towards hope because we have acknowledged our own darkness. We've acknowledged the devices and desires of our hearts. We've acknowledged the darkness of the world, and we're asking for the light to come. We have to first recognize that we are in prison and that we cannot open the doors ourselves, and that Jesus has to come and open the door for us. Which brings us to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, this great prophecy of the Messiah, of the Christ that is to come. But the beginning image is not that hopeful. It starts with a stump. There shall come forth from a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesse being the father of King David. At the end of Isaiah chapter 10, there is a vision of a great forest of the nations being leveled and cut down to stumps. Isaiah says at the end of chapter 10, he will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. And then the next image is this image of hope. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. All hope is seemingly lost. All that's left is a stump. What is a stump good for? Basically nothing. Unless something can come from the stump itself. And the tree of Israel is felled. The tree of Judah is felled. There is no doubt that the people of God ultimately go into exile, that they are left as a stump, and that God has made this promise that he will raise up one in the line of David who will rule forever. So we begin with this image of the stump because it is an advent image of the prison and darkness, of these things that we need that we cannot do for ourselves. We can't make life come out of a stump, but God can. And that's the hope of this passage. And in verses 2 through 5 of Isaiah chapter 11, we get a vision of who this Christ is, this Messiah. And again, it's just worth remembering, we use these words, and what do they mean? Well, Messiah, Christ, they mean the anointed one. Messiah being the Jewish word for it, Christ being the Greek word for it. But it means one who is anointed, given the specific task. And that's exactly what Isaiah tells us in these verses, that the Spirit has anointed this stump of Jesse, this branch from the stump of Jesse, to come and be the, the one that we need, the one that we need to open the prison door the one that we need to be the light in the darkness. And this is what he's like. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. He's not like other leaders. He's not like other kings who come and go, who rise and fall who sometimes are glorious and sometimes are massively disappointing. He's not like that at all. He has everything, the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit, to be everything that we need to come and set us free. 
wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. He doesn't just know and understand and relate to God deeply. He has the strength to actually affect change in the world. Strength and knowledge married together. There's leaders who know a lot of things who can't do anything. There's leaders who don't know anything but try to just do stuff. That's not a great situation to be in, either one. We need a king who is wise and righteous, who has the strength to affect what he intends to do, which is righteous. I was struck especially by the phrase that he does not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. I was thinking about, in modern politics, you'll hear some people say, well, I'm not going to do that because the optics aren't very good. So something might be the right thing to do, but it won't look good to a certain group of people, so I'm not going to do it. Isaiah is saying that the Messiah, the anointed one, doesn't operate like that. He does what is good because it is good, not because people perceive it to be so one way or the other. He's not taking a pole or testing the wind. He's doing what is righteous because he is righteous. Righteousness shall be his belt and faithfulness the belt of his loins. His very garments project who he is and what his character is like. This Messiah judges by the Spirit. He walks in the fear of the Lord. That is, he walks in the wisdom and righteousness. You may remember from the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He understands that God and his rule and his reign are what matters. So Isaiah tells us that he judges by the rod of his mouth. What does that mean? It means that his words, his very words, set the standard. Because what we know standing from our position on the other side of the incarnation, is that this one who will come is the word made flesh. God's word present to us, Emmanuel, God with us. So these verses 2 through 5 give us a vision of what he is like, and the verses 6 through 10 give us a vision of what he will do and what he will affect in the world and the kingdom that he is bringing. And this is the thing that we're hoping for. This is the thing that we're waiting for. This is the thing that isn't here yet. We are not currently living in a world where wolves and lambs can hang out and it not end in in, in a bloody mess. But this vision of a world that he holds before us, a wolf and a lamb can dwell together. A leopard can lie down with a young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. This is a world where violence is undone where peace is such that these basic relationships of animosity no longer exist, that predator and prey can dwell together. This is a vision of a world under the care of the anointed one. It's a world of peace and reconciliation. And the message of this world is that the righteous king creates and cultivates a righteous realm, that his kingdom reflects his character. We talked about this in Christ the King Sunday. And that that's the invitation to God's people, is that we're meant to go and preach the good news of the kingdom, but we're also meant to reflect the character of the king in the world and to do the, the things that he does in the way that he does them. 
So this righteous king creates and cultivates a righteous realm, and by the end of the passage, there is a spillover of righteousness that becomes an all-encompassing flood, and the knowledge of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. It is a flood of righteousness that covers everything. And the knowledge of God is this deep, gut-level, embodied, bone-deep understanding and knowing of who God is and what he is like. And that that has spread everywhere. That's the vision that's held before us. And that's what we hope for in Advent. Just as the people of Israel said, O come, O come, Emmanuel, waiting to be released and freed from their exile, waiting to be freed from the oppression of Rome, we wait now for him to come again in glory. We're people of hope and expectation. And this one, this man, this Messiah, is the hope of Israel. But what Isaiah shows us in this passage is that the Messiah of Israel is actually the hope of the world. Because what he says is, Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Meaning the nations are going to stream to him. So we have this vision. It's kind of, it's kind of a paradise. In fact, if you think about it, if a, if a shoot is coming out of a stump, there's a new tree that's bearing new fruit. And really what we have is a vision of a new Eden. Because in this Eden, snakes and children can hang out together and it doesn't go badly. It's not like the first garden of Eden. All of that suffering is undone. This is a glorious vision and when we measure our own experience against it, we recognize that we're not there yet. <laughs> we're hoping for it. But again, the key picture for us is the stump. Because all of that comes out of a stump. That God can take a stump, a forest that has been leveled, and a shoot can come out of it. And that he can bring about his righteousness, his peace through his anointed one, and that that can spread out to the world and that the knowledge of God can cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's our hope. That's when we share the good news of Jesus, that's what we're sharing, is that God can remake the world, that he can take what is, that he can redeem it, and that he can resurrect it. That's what we hope in. That's what we believe. And it's important to remember that God brings it out of a stump. Because for us, whatever our circumstances are, whatever desolations we might have, whatever disappointments we might have, God can breathe on those things too and bring life from them because that's his character. So we have the image of the stump, which brings us back to our good old friend, John the Baptist. What does John say to those who come out to him in the wilderness he says, even now the, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, that sounds harsh, John. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, we're supposed to remember that even a stump can bring forth new life. Even if the tree is cut down, God can bring new life. As long as there is time, as long as there is a day called today, God can come and breathe on things, and resurrect things, and bring new life out of things. I mentioned the O antiphons at the beginning that O come, O come, Emmanuel comes out, comes from. 
O key of David. There's another one, which is Radix Jesse. And I say it that way because Radix, which we get our word radical from, means root, the root of Jesse. And this is what that verse says. A root of Jesse, standing as an ensign among the peoples, before you kings will shut their mouths, to you the nations will make their prayer, come and deliver us and delay no longer. O root of Jesse. To be a radical is to go back to the root of things. That's what John the Baptist is calling them back to. He's saying the ax is laid to the root of the tree. We're going back to the beginning. He says to the people of God, don't lean on what you've known before. Don't lean on your heritage. Don't say, I'm a child of Abraham, I'm fine. Go back to the beginning and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This vision of repentance, that movement of repentance is simply the acknowledgement of Bonhoeffer. I'm in a prison that I cannot open the door myself to. God has to open the door. He has to let me out. He has to bring the light into the darkness. I want to end with Isaiah himself and his story. In Isaiah chapter 6, we have the great call of Isaiah as a prophet. His world is falling apart. The king has just died, and he goes to the temple. Maybe like you sometimes, you come to church, things are kind of falling apart, you just want to encounter God. Well, Isaiah has one of the great encounters with God. (laughs) In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw God in all of his glory. I saw the angels surrounding him. I heard the song of heaven saying, holy, holy, holy Lord. And what happens to Isaiah? It's not just that his world falls apart, it's that he falls apart. I am undone, he says. He disintegrates in in a way. He begins in that place of acknowledgement that, oh, I'm the problem. I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. He acknowledges his sins and he acknowledges the sins of his people. But then he's cleansed. He's redeemed. His lips are touched with the fire of God and God says, now you're going to go speak my word. And he's given a mission. Now nobody reads the rest of Isaiah 6. It gets pretty dark. Because what God then tells Isaiah is, hey, you're going to talk and nobody's going to listen. It's going to be great. (laughs) They will have fat ears. They will have swollen eyes. They can't see what you're trying to show them. They can't hear what you're trying to say to them. And we're taken back to the image of a forest that's cut down. And the very last verse of Isaiah chapter 6 is this. The holy seed is its stump. We're back to the stump. We're back to the image of, can God do anything with this? And the answer is yes. He can bring forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. He can keep his promise. That's Advent hope. Advent hope is that as long as there is a stump, there is hope. Even a stump can bring forth new life. And that's good news for us as a people, and that's good news for us as individuals, because, you know, this is a hard time of year. We've had a hard few years. I don't know if you've, you know, remember that. (laughs) I'm sure you do. Life's been pretty up and down, chaotic. There's lots of stuff going on in the world. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to feel like, what is God doing? 
And we're left with this image of a stump. The holy seed is its stump. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And out of that will come a tree that will bear fruit, that will be a blessing to the nations, and that the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's our hope. And if we're in that place of darkness, that's okay. In fact, that's the beginning place. If we can simply say, I'm in that prison and I can't open the door. I'm in darkness and I can't bring the light. Jesus, I need you to open the door. I need you to bring your light. And he will. That's all he asks of us is simply to say, I need you. I can't do it myself. I need you. Let's stand and we'll pray together. And just simply acknowledge that we need his help. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your prophets. I thank you for the hard words of the prophets that help us re-examine our own lives and our own hearts. And I confess that I have followed too much the devices and desires of my own heart. And I pray, Lord, for us that in a moment of quiet that you could meet us where we are. That we could acknowledge our own darkness even now. Lord, we need your light. We need you to shine your light in the dark places of our hearts and the dark places of our world. <clears throat> we can't do it ourselves. We need you to empower us with your spirit so that we can go and spread this message of hope. But first, we need to be people of hope ourselves. And I pray for everyone who feels like their life is a stump right now. Lord, that you would bring forth a shoot, a sign of new life and new hope. And we wait, Lord, with great anticipation for what you will do and the signs that you will give us to show us, Lord, that you are with us and that you are for us and that you love us. And we ask this in the name of the Son of David, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.